Welcome to the Fuji X Australia podcast. Brought to you by the Fuji X Oz Facebook group. Now here's your host, Joe Jong. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for joining in. Just want to say quick apologies for getting this third episode out uh, late to you guys. Just been a lot going on in the past couple of weeks for us here in the admin team, both work and personal commitments. Um, but hopefully we'll uh, get back on track and uh, start to get some of these out on a regular basis. Just before we start today's episode, just want to make a quick shout out once again, welcoming Greg Crony to the admin team. And also, big congratulations to our latest winner of the Nisi Filters competition, Pippin. Hopefully I'm pronouncing your name correct there. Uh, big congrats again where the theme was Reflections and he won the Nissi Filters 100ml Starter Filter Kit. So congratulations once again. All right, so we're going to get into the first segment of this episode and it's going to be on the new lens announcements as well as some of the roadmaps that Fujifilm has released. Uh, so we all know the 8 to 16, the 200ml, both of which amazing lenses, has recently just been um, you know, made public. But also the 33 as well as the 16 f2.8. Yes! I know both these lenses have uh, pretty much uh, been on a lot of people's uh, shopping lists, and uh, not to mention the XT3 rumors that's been going around. So uh, with me, I have Ian Tan and Athol. Hey, Joe, how are you doing? I'm good. Athol, welcome. Thanks. How are things going? <laughs> good, good. So I thought this is your first time on the podcast and uh, I think uh, your reputation uh, does not require any further introductions, um, especially with you know, all your posts and, and uh, comments and contributions in the group. So I'm sure everyone knows you by name already. You're pretty much a household name. <laughs> the, the resident uh, stirrer, for lack of a better word. <laughs> Pretty much. All right. So I just want to just quickly touch on these two lenses, which I know uh, you know is already available. Uh, you can purchase these. First one being the eight sixteen um, Fuji's wide angle. So just a very quick one. What 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 are your thoughts on this? I, I think these are long time coming. Um, I think the eight sixteen is going to be phenomenal. Um, I think, unfortunately for a lot of people, it's probably going to be priced out of the market. Um, but it's the nature of Fuji becoming a more professional system. And um, I think for the vast majority of users, there's there's plenty of lenses at the, the lower end. I think people will complain, but you know, lenses like the new 16 will fix that. But I think mm. this is essentially uh, Fujifilm maturing into a space where for professional photographers moving into the system, they need to know that there are certain lenses that they can get. And, mm. and this is part of their build up in that. One of the things that I have always, uh, you know, questioned is, uh, you know, that there's no doubt about the quality in their lenses in the Fuji's uh, Fujifilm's lineup in lenses. Uh, you know, they're all great. Um, I've yet to, you know, use one that, um, you know, that I had any bad experiences with. Even some of their more uh, entry-level uh, cameras, such as you know the 18 to 55. But my my concern is. It always comes back down to the sensor size, doesn't it? That whole argument about, okay, yes, you have all these great lenses lined up, but then there are some people who still, you know, um, kind of still have that mentality of, well, if it's not full frame, it's not professional. You know, my biggest question to people like that is, show me a photo they've taken. Um, do you know, if they're on full frame or if they're on APS-C, show me a photo you've taken 
which would have been better on full frame. And, you know, it, it, it's really, you have to be a phenomenal photographer to take advantage of a, an F1.4 over an F1.8 lens. So I think the vast mm -hmm. majority of us, and I, it's not me saying that I'm better, I think this is, this stands for 90% of us, myself included, that we don't have the skills to be able to really take advantage of full frame over APS-C. And I think you have to mm. be a world-class photographer to do that. If you look at somebody like Jonas Rask and look at the photos he's producing, they are amazing. Mm. And he's not constrained by, by APS-C. So who are these people that are constrained by APS-C to such a degree that you know they need full frame? And the majority of them are sitting on forums, taking photos of their cats and complaining about ISO 12,800 photos, you know, of their kids in the dark where they're just terrible conditions. And, you, and you're mm -hmm. looking and going, why would you want to take photos in those conditions? And what difference mm. is full frame going to make? They're still going to be badly composed photos in a bad environment, and you're not solving the problem. So to me, it's it's pixel peepers. It's the wrong kind yeah. of people. Professionals don't complain about that. You know, professionals yeah. were shooting with cameras that were worse than the current APS-C cameras 10 years ago, and they were producing amazing photos, and that's not going to change. Mm. Actually, it's a good point that you brought that up because uh, I read an article um, not long ago where they've given a professional photographer a crop sensor um, from the Canon lineup anyway, a, a, a crop sensor entry-level camera with the kit lens that came with it. And yeah, you could not tell because I basically put up all these, uh, you know, these, these various sample photos that they've um, taken, and then they've kind of asked the audience to say, okay, well, which do you think was taken with a full frame? Which do you think was taken with uh, the crop sensor? And 90% of the time, people got the answer wrong. So they're actually you know, saying that this is taken with a full frame when in actual fact it was taken with the crop sensor. So I think you are right in that, um, you know, we've got to look beyond that. And you know, what Fuji has done with the lenses is, like you were just saying, um, is now more catered towards those you know, professionals to give them the tool that they need to, to help them in their, uh, I guess, you know, in their genre or on the field, um, which, you know, brings me to the next uh, lens lineup that Fuji's just released, which is a 200mm. So this is a powerhouse. This is something that definitely is not something that, you know, your your entry level or even, you know, your your enthusiast would probably, um, probably buy uh, on the whim. Uh, it's more really specialised uh, for, you know, those people who take their photography serious, like in sports or, or fast action, wildlife. Um, but it's, I mean... From some of the reviews I've seen, this this lens is nothing but amazing. I mean, the the qualities that I've seen in some of the sample shots just makes me itch to uh, to to really want to hold one of these. Uh, would this be something that you would add to your lens lineup, Arthur? I know that you've uh, almost got the whole range. I, I think I've got more chance of falling pregnant through wind pollination, but um, <laughs> miracles do happen. Um, I think it's. I think it's going to be amazing. I'd love to try it. And I'd love to get it out for kite surfing, um, and and in particular, I think this is aimed at the the sports photographers. It's aimed at. Um, there's a massive bird community. I mean, if you go to some of the the um, the old school forums that are still running mm -hmm. digital SLRs, there are a lot of people, or more that you more than you know, who can actually afford 400 mil f 2.8s. These are people where their only hobby in life is really photography, and mm -hmm. you know, for them. Being able to get hold of something like that is important, and this is the kind of lens that's been holding them back. So, I'd say it's not just for pros; it's going to be for some cashed-up consumers that that take their birding seriously or take their sports seriously. Mm. Um, this is probably the bread and butter um, surf photographer's um, lens. So, if you look at all the surf photography that's done with yep. this, 
Um, and I think it's going to open the door for, for Puji into those markets where, in some respects, it's a psychological barrier. It's people saying, I can't buy Fuji because when I grow into a better photographer, I can't get this. Do you know, it's a little mm -hmm. bit like full-frame photographers who buy full-frame because it's better than APS-C and buy an F4 lens. In that, mm. so, so it makes no difference. The reality is it's a psychological thing. I'm saying if I want to get to that level, I, I, I have that option now. Um, so I think, it's, I think it's a smart move. Um, I think they'll sell limited numbers, but I think it's going to be amazing, and I'm pretty jealous of anyone who gets it. Yeah, definitely. Well, hopefully, um, you know, uh, in, in the uh, People with Cameras event that's coming up soon, which we'll talk about in the next segment, uh, hopefully, uh, Fiji Film, if you guys are listening, um, hopefully you guys will bring down a sample. <laughs> um, all right, now the next uh, couple or the next two are pretty much uh, confirmed and are on their roadmap. Uh, that's the 16F28. Now, I know the 16mm is one of the fan favorites out there. It's, uh, you know, pretty much almost everyone that I've spoken to who's used it um, has actually gone out and bought it or already owns one. Uh, what, what would this kind of bring to the table now? So we know it's going to obviously be maybe a lot less uh, because it's you know, F, um, F2.8. Um, so those who, who want that kind of focal range um, would be able to, um, I, I guess, afford it. But uh, being at F2.8, I mean, I thought um, they may actually release this to be an F2 to kind of, uh, you know, stick with the whole F2 series, you know, the, the 35, the 23 and the 50. Um, do, do you think, you know, this is going to be something that people will probably be like, nah, you know, look, F2.8's not going to work and stick with the F1.4, you think? Or do you think there's going to be a market for this? No, I think as you get wider, I think there's less of a requirement. You lose your depth of field anyway. So the, the F2 doesn't make much of a difference. And from a light perspective, you can handhold the 16 at a lot slower shutter speed so um yeah it would be nice if it was f2 but i don't think it'll make a, a big difference for most people um mm. to me this is about size it's about matching it to the um you know the 23 the 35 the 50 mil keeping it nice and small and mm. i mean this is the lens that greg's been asking for 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 years he's been complaining about having a wider fujicron and this mm. is essentially filling that gap so it's not a true fujicron in the sense that it's not an f2 but I think this this lens is going to be mass market appeal, and I think it's just going to kill kill the market. Uh, I think it'll be phenomenal. I think it'll have fast AF, and I think it's going to be a big big lens, a popular lens. If he really wants an F2, he can buy the 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 16 mil f2.8, and then once it's his, he can uh, just scratch out the 0.8 on on his uh, aperture ring. And there we go. It'll <laughs> be all good. Um, now, Ethel, in the past, you have been quite accurate with your predictions around pricing. What would you think the pricing on the 16 F2.8 will be? I think this will be priced at the same as the 50. Um, actually, yeah, it's a 2.8, so maybe, um, I'd say maybe midway between the 50 and the 35, um, mm. given it's a 2.8. So I'd say it's going to be in, in that in that range. Okay. Uh, I, yeah, 16 is a little bit harder to get a, a sharp lens out of it, which is mm. why I don't think it'll be quite as cheap as the 35. Mm. But I think it's going to be midway between those two. And I, okay. I think, given that, given an f2.8, I think this thing's going to be incredibly sharp. Um, yeah. Because if they've stopped it down a bit, they will make it sh as sharp at f2.8 as possible. So I'd yeah. expect this this to be as sharp as the uh, the 35 or the 50 um, wide open. Yeah, no, they'll, they'll be good. Uh, and, and the next one is the 33, and I believe this is going to be an f1, is that right? Yeah. So that's, that's, a, that's an interesting one because... Um, you know, if you to convert that to full frame equivalent, it's just shy of 50 mil. Um, 
and then you got the you know the 35 f2 as well as the f14 so it's now like you know in that 30 30 to 35 mil range you've now got three uh you know lens choices uh for you to 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 choose from but that f1 is definitely going to be what's going to you know appeal to to a lot of people but um you know with that said i'm not sure you know how how this is going to pan out you know is it going to be very soft on the edges or you know is it going to be if they're going down this path i reckon it's going to be a probably a 1500 dollars lens um i think it's going to be fairly close to um like a sigma 50 art in the sense that it's it's going to be designed to be ultra sharp edge-to-edge sharpness phenomenal lens dedicated Mm. to the pro market um again um i'm odd in the sense that i would probably never buy this because i've never been a 50 fan so i i've I've never quite gelled with the 50 um right across the board yeah i've just i've loved the 23 as a a sort of a 35 more but the my 30 30 uh, 35 f2 i actually sold i I just never used it and and right i think it's a studio portrait um focal length that's the way mm-hmm. I see it. No, I've just never gelled with that. I've, I've never done a lot of you know, true studio portrait portrait work. So mm. um, I'm, I probably may buy it anyway, but we'll see what happens. But <laughs> I, but I think it'll be big. It'll be heavy. Um, it'll be yeah. incredibly sharp, but it's going to be expensive. And I reckon this is yeah, uh, yeah $1,500. I reckon it'll be close okay. to the price of the, uh, the 80 mil. Okay. All right. Cool. Well, there you go, uh, guys. Uh, two predict uh, two predictions from Athol, and uh, he hasn't been wrong in the past, so he's he's on a roll at the moment. <laughs> awesome. All right. Now the next one. Uh, this is currently floating around in the rumor mill. Um, now I'm not much of a rumors person, but the XC3 it's hard to ignore, and especially with Photokina just around the corner. You know, your thoughts. What are some of the things that you expect to see, um, or some of the features that you'll like? I guess. I mean, I expect um, you know it, the 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 full full frame coverage with PDF, uh, PDAF. I, I, I think is a foregone conclusion. I think the sensors a question a question mark in the sense of is it going to be this um, you know dual layered sensor or is it going to be one of the other backlit sensors similar to mm. what Nikon's using? I think the question marks either way, and we, we probably won't get a confirmation on it. One's better in low light, the others mm-hmm. um, gives you less uh, less uh, mirror. Um, what is the term? Um, it, it, you don't get, you don't, um, you know, if you're shooting high frames, you don't get that um, slideshow effect, so you get less lag in the in the viewfinder. The rolling shutters, yep. Yeah, so it's essentially, um, you know, one sensor is capable of giving you a view while the other's taking the photos. It's that kind of perspective of it. Um, mm. So the Sony's that run it have zero mirror blackout. You know, it's it's because it's mm-hmm. actually picking up the information. Do you know what? I think the sensor's now at a point where. If we gain half a stop, it's going to be a lot. I think that the, the PDAF coverage is probably the biggest item that's going to affect people because it's the one thing people have been complaining about with the new Sony's um, is the improvements in autofocus. Um, so I think that's where it'll come into play. And I think if it's the backlit sensor, it'll probably give us much better low light autofocus, which is also great because that's something else that mm-hmm. people people complain about. I think where there will be some challenges with this uh, camera is I think if it's not up spec I think they're going to have challenges competing with the likes of Sony. Uh, mm. I think if it is up specs, the challenges, I think the uh, the X-H1 sales are going to fall off the edge of a cliff because you've now got a very expensive camera and um, which was supposedly for video and sports, and you've got a new camera that's come out which is going to be better at sports, and it's only really you know, lost the IBIS. So, and apparently from what I've read as well, they said it's going to... <laughs> and now, once again, I don't know 
uh, how true this is. So just take it as a grain of salt. But uh, you know, for some of the things I've been reading, they're saying that it's going to be uh, you know the price wise going to be less than the XT2 on launch. So that's the part that I'm a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a difficult one, and I think if. If Fuji from, I think the X-T3 will be successful. I don't think that's going to be a problem at all. I think it's going to be the impact on the X-H1. And I think, unfortunately, uh, it's just going to leave Fuji from in a very difficult position because mm. historically, if you've looked at Nikon and, and Sony and Canon, they've always released their, their high-level cameras with a brand new sensor. So the 1Ds come out with a new sensor when it gets released and the, and you know, the Nikon D5 comes with a brand new sensor. And what they did with the X-H1 was they brought it out in an end-of-life sensor, which made very little sense. And you know, the first camera that's come out now, which is the X-T3, is essentially eclipsing it. And although it may not be, let's say, um, that much cheaper, it still means that the X-H1 is going to fall behind the rest of the cameras for, for an extended period of time. And I think that's the, that's the challenge we're talking about here is if Fujifilm don't release a X-H2 or an X-H1S, I would say in the Q1 or Q2 of next year, um, I, I think the XH is, is going to be dead, unfortunately, because so I think it's almost like you know it's just uh, you know, cannibalizing the sales from from the XH1 taking. Well, um, yeah, you okay. look at the majority, probably 10% of people really need iPads. Most people would want it, but really need it. And when you look at it, somebody comparing the T3 with the XH1 and the XH1 being you know let's say five or six hundred dollars more, the XT3 is a logical choice every single mm. time. So unless you really, really, really need IBIS, you're going to take the X-T3 every time. And that means that most of your X-H1 potential sales are going to swing to the X-T3. Mm. Or potentially, mm. the worst situation is they may go to Sony because people want a new sensor with better AF and they want IBIS. And yeah. the X-T3 is not going to give them IBIS. So you're going to be stuck in a dilemma. So mm. I would say if they don't release a, uh, an X-H1S in Q1 or Q2 of next year, I think the the model line could be in trouble because the next time they release an X-H2, if it's if the people could see it as an end-of-life sensor um, type of approach again, and they might be hesitant to buy it um, mm. because they might think that the X-T4 is coming out. So you're then stuck with a dilemma. And I think, um, do you know, the other thing I think they're going to they're going to battle with is if they do bring out a, an X-H1S, um, you're going to have a lot of existing X-H1 buyers who've now had a camera for, let's say, six or 12 months and it's updated. And yeah. do you know what Pentax did with this is they gave users the option of sending their cameras in and they would update the sensor for 500 bucks um, to the latest sensor when they did this. And I think oh, right. that's the kind of approach that uh, that Fuji would probably be worth, worth taking because your X-H1 users would then probably be happy if they really need that sensor or want that sensor to be able to send their camera in and get a, and pay 500 bucks to get a new sensor. Um, do you know, I'd probably do I, that. I would be, I would be willing to do that because yeah. um, the, I mean, uh, again, it's all rumored, but apparently the new sensor will be, uh, will have better video capabilities. So it'll, it'll shoot a 10 bit, 10 bit video as opposed to our current XH1, which only shoots at 8 bit, which means um, you get uh, deeper colors. There's, there's a bit more elasticity oh, when wow. you go and massage your, your, your files in post-processing. Uh, it'll shoot 4K at 60 frames per second versus 30, I think is the most at the moment. Jesus, okay. Uh, it, it'll come with Zebra indicators. Um, um, yeah, so, so uh, for, for a video shooter, um, it, it, there are actually some substantial upgrades with the newer sensor which um 
personally, I myself, I, I'd be re really keen to to get that if that was available. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So this but, is the part that now, I mean, I, I don't know much about what's going on in the rumor mills in, in regards to the spec of the XT3, but if it is sounding more and more like uh, it's having uh, more like improved features around the video capabilities. Um, see, my, my perception of the XH1 has always been that it's a more video-centric camera as opposed to stills. Yes, it can do stills, but it's more, I guess, uh, you know, down that path. There's more for upside video. for video shooters. Yeah. Mm. So, and and I've always looked at the XT1, XT2 as more of a stills-centric. Um, uh, model that's not really big on the whole video capability. Yes, it can shoot video, but it's more focused, you know, with the stills. Similar to your Sony, you know, how they got the Sony A7S, which is more, you know, low light and video, followed by the just a normal A7, which is, you know, your enthusiasts, and then you got the A7R, which is the high res stills, which, you know, it's mainly used for taking stills as opposed to video. So, you know, the sounding like the XC3 has all these amazing video features and and it just pretty much reinforces what Atoll said about it can uh, cannibalizing the the xh1 and if i was an xh1 uh, i guess uh, user or owner um you know I'll, I'll be scratching my head thinking geez did i make the right decision or should i wait it because it's only been what six months since hmm. the well actually the i actually want one offer maybe a couple of 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 counterpoints to that um uh Firstly, one thing that a lot of people also talk about but aren't actually captured in the specs is the, the ergonomics of the XH1. Um, it is bigger and, and, and offers uh, you know, people with bigger hands a lot more to hold onto as a camera. So uh, it's a lot more comfortable to, to use. Well, I found it a lot more comfortable to use for, for longer, um, particularly if, if you are very familiar with, with DSLR style um, bodies. Um, so that's, that's something that that um, it's a bit hard to quantify and it's quite personal. But mm. but if you do hang if you do handhold your camera for for a long time at a stretch, that that's that's a feature that that um, really cannot be underestimated. It's it's really valuable. And and secondly, um, this whole thing about camera envy. Look, you know, if you've bought an XH one. Uh, firstly, you always pay a price for early adoption. You know, mm. that's you, you pay a pre, you pay a premium. That's yeah. that's just how I mean, it works. It's just like the mobile um, uh, scene, right? Like, I mean, look at the iPhones, yeah, exactly. and the Samsungs. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the trade-off is that you you get to use you know you get to use new tech for when it first comes out. You get all the happy fuzzy feelings that come with that. Mm. Um, but the camera still does the job that you bought it to do it, you it know, does and you, you, I, I agree but i think this is also about competing with the market and i think it's about competing with cameras and it's about um hmm. marketing strategy this is not just a i mean there's an emotional side to buying cameras and granted but when you put the two cameras side by side are people going to pick the xt3 or they're going to pick the xh1 and hmm. and yes and it doesn't yeah. help anyone if everyone's going to go for the xt3 because it means the xh1 lineup is dead mm -hmm. and and i don't yeah. i don't want it to die i really like the xh1 lineup I wanted mm. as a lineup with with a bigger battery, with you know the same sensors, the XT3, and um, you know with the Iberside. That to me is yeah. what it should be. It, it should be something that's a mm. little bit more professional, a little bit more robust, and, and I don't mind paying a little bit more and, and having a slightly bigger camera. You know, there's mm. every other camera in the Fuji lineup is small, so but it still has to make sense, financial sense for the the lineup to continue. And I think that's the problem. Is it, it's it's not about whether it's camera envy, it's about whether it will actually succeed because Fuji um, 
should have probably have waited six or six or eight months before they released the camera. And it's easy to say in yeah. hindsight because we, we can look at it now and say that. But, you know, it, it's, it is one of those cases where maybe they should have just waited for the new sensor. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I, I totally agree. If you're on the cusp of deciding where, you know, where, on buying a new camera and, and you're, you're tossing up between the X-H1 and the X-T3, um, you know, if you're purely stills photographer, the X-T3 is a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 superior in 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 pretty much almost every way. Um, if if you already own an XH1 and, and you're considering, oh, you know, should I upgrade to an XT3? Um, you know, six months or how, however long you've had it um, down the track. Um, you know, again, it, it it's it's not it then becomes not so clear. You know, if you've got the money to do it, yeah, sure, go you know, go go for it, get an XH1, sell it, and then buy an XT3. Um, but if you're on a budget or if you've money's a concern, which is true for most of us, um, then then I think we we do need to think carefully about you know why am I switching the camera? Mm-hmm. Is it because uh, I'm perceiving that I'm going to get uh, my my photography is going to be fifty percent better because of the ten percent incremental improvements in the XT3? If that's the case, I think you're deluding yourself, mm. um, and you're falling for you're falling for for the the spiel of, of, of the marketing department, which will make the marketing people very happy. Mm. Um, but but you know, if if you if you plow the the extra money that you're going to lose from trading into an XH1 to an XT3 into an ed- educational course uh, on on lighting or, or or around shooting portraiture and that sort of stuff, that will pay bigger dividends for your photography. Um, you know, versus getting a camera which is, you know, 10, 15% incrementally better. Mm. Uh, but, but, but totally agree with you, Ethel, about, about your point on the survival of the XH1 line or the viability of it going forward. Uh, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, that you kind of, I mean, ha- having considered, like, if we look at the Panasonic, what Panasonic did with their GH line going from the GH4 to GH5, the GH4 is, is stabilized, uh, it has IBIS in it, but the GH5 doesn't. Um, and Panasonic's reasoning behind that was that uh, for, for the, the bulk of their users who, who shoot video, if they want stabilization, they're gonna whack that camera, which isn't which isn't really that big, but they're gonna whack it on a on a dedicated gimbal. Mm, and yeah. if 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 and and for all other for all other purposes, if they're gonna put it on a on a rig, and if they're gonna whack on an external recorder like an Atomos Shogun, they're gonna put a follow focus unit on it. That that camera is gonna blow out to five six kilos anyway, which means you're not gonna handhold it, uh, and you're gonna whack it on a tripod, so mm. IBIS is useless. And in fact, if you're on a tripod, they're saying that um, even though you've deactivated the IBIS, because the sensor is not fixed, it's actually floating, um, it can still introduce a bit of shake. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the reasoning for excluding IBIS from the GH5 body. Um, look, and, and it may be that, that, that video shooters um, adopting the XT3 might feel the same way. So, yep. um, yeah, def- definitely some uh, challenges for the XH1 line ahead, I reckon. Uh, I mean, I will, I will say the autofocus issues are probably um, more blown out than they, they tend to be. I think a lot of it stems from people who couldn't be bothered to learn to use the, uh, the autofocus settings. And, and I think maybe it's a lesson to Sony that, sorry, to Fuji that they need to simplify it. Um, do you know, things like uh, eye focus probably help simplify it because it picks the right object for you. But, you know, I did a model shoot last night and out of probably 400 photos, I reckon I had less than 10 that were out of focus. Um, 
So that, that gives you a perspective on if you spend time and actually learn how to do it. And granted, you know, the models weren't jumping around a lot, but it, you know, the autofocus issues are blown out. It's people who want an automatic camera, but they're buying a professional body. And that to me is, is mm. probably a, is still a problem with the consumer side. And uh, it's a difficult thing because maybe Fuji just need to bite the button and, and give them some sort of auto, uh, excuse the pun, autofocus um, uh, option that mm. they can just switch on. It'll do all the work for them. Yeah, <laughs> no, 100%. And, you know, I've always, uh, you know, told people this in that, you know, they always want a autofocus system that's pretty much on par, if not better than what Sony releases. But yet the, the subjects that they shoot are not your fast, you know, um, you know, MotoGP, Formula One, um, you know, it's maybe just their cats and dogs walking up and down, you know, to and away from them. And you don't need super fast autofocus for that. So, you know, you've you got to be true to yourself at the end of the day. You know, are you someone who's basically generating money for your photography and shooting uh, fast action slash wildlife? Then if the answer is yes, then definitely, okay, I understand. Uh, having a better AF system uh, will, will definitely help in that department. Uh, if you're just an enthusiast, which I know a majority of us are, uh, you know, do you need a, a super fast, super responsive autofocus to do, say, street or to do, um, you know, architectural cityscapes or even landscapes? No. Um, you know, so you're just going to be true to yourself. I'll disagree in the sense that um, I've shot a lot of <laughs> you're sports. Gonna bring your, you're going to bring your kids into this, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I've shot a lot of sports and I reckon kids are probably the most challenging on any autofocus oh, system. I, I reckon. agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know the thing? Look, you, you give a kid enough red cordial, none of your autofocus is going to keep up with that. <laughs> but the thing with sports is, sports is predictable. Person runs around a track, you know where they're going to go. You know where a racing car is going to go. With a child, you mm. don't know, and and you're yeah, almost trying movements. to keep the camera up mm. with them, and you're expecting an autofocus system to do the same. So the reason I use that as an example is because it's it's pretty much the the greatest example of the unpredictable. And if a yeah. system can keep up keep up with the unpredictable, which in all honesty, Sony does seem to do well with lately. Um, then it, it's, I think that's what mm. people are looking for. And I think, you know, whatever happens, um, you know, Fuji will always lag behind different manufacturers for different components. It might yeah. be a lens from this component, it might be autofocus from somebody else, but it gives Sony something to strive towards getting better. You know, when yeah. they're the leader, um, other people are going to strive towards having Fuji colors. You know, that's mm. that's the reality. That's what, what Fuji's known for. Yeah. So, True, true. All right, um, we've uh, pretty much run out of time for this segment. So to finish off, your predictions uh, with price-wise for the X-T3, if and when they do release it? Well, what, what did the X-T2 go for? I think on launch, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I could be way off here, about 2200 2400 Yeah, so I, I think, think probably... 22, 2200 22 so maybe... 24. I, I'm going to go against, I'm going to reckon it's only going to be about 100 bucks cheaper, um, if not the same price. I, I don't yeah. think it's... I don't think it's it's going to be cheaper. I, I don't um, think it will be cheaper either. Yeah. So I think uh, when the X Pro Two when that was launched, uh, once again my my memory could be off here, but it's about twenty six hundred for just the body. And I remember when the XT Two came out, it was actually a lot less. So it was, I think it would have been around the twenty four hundred mark, twenty four to twenty three now. Um, but I know that it was definitely a lot lot cheaper than the X. Pro 2. So, yeah, I think um, I'm with you on this one. I don't think it will be any cheaper. And if, and if it is, maybe within $100, give or take, but definitely not 
a lot cheaper. So if people are expecting it to be under the 2K mark, um, I think you're dreaming. Um, come back to earth. But it's going to be roughly around the... I reckon, look, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if it was 2,500. That, that's my yeah. take. Hmm. Yep. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm kind of hoping that might be true. I mean, when Sony released the A7 III, a lot of people were really surprised at, at, at the price, you know. They looked at. They did. Uh, I don't know. I, when I look, when I saw the price, I did a double take. I go, how much, really? Um, <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> but look at how they got the price low. So the EVF is much lower quality than the XT2 uh, and the X, uh, XH1. And if you yeah, look true. at the EVF pricing on the market, Sony's own pricing to wholesalers, the EVF is one of the most expensive components. I can't remember what it was, but yeah. it was like four hundred dollars just for the EVF. Mm. So, no kidding. Uh, wow. Yeah, it was mm. it was something ridiculous, and I think that's the one thing. I think the BSI sensor versus the stack sensor will be the big thing. If they go with stacked, I think it's going to be expensive. Mm. If they go with BSI, it could be the same, if not cheaper, because stack sensors are still very expensive. The BSI, mm. which yeah. is the Nikon-style sensor, is is pretty much the same sort of pricing. So, um, yeah, I would say there's there's that. If it's stacked, yeah. I think it will yeah. have to be higher. Um, but let's see what happens. Yeah, let's see yeah. what happens. All right. Well, as always, Athol, thank you for joining us uh, in this uh, segment. Uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the upcoming event, the people with cameras. Okay, welcome back, guys. If you just joined us, thank you for tuning in. Um, don't forget to hit the subscribe uh, button uh, if you're listening to us on anchor.fm. Uh, use the voice message function or feature and uh, send us uh, a feedback or what you'd like to hear uh, in the next episode or any questions uh, on uh, this episode that you've just heard so far. So, all right, well, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the upcoming uh, event that is on, I believe, is it the 1st of September, Ian? Uh, yeah, that's right. Saturday, the 1st of September at 11 a.m. So that'll be this coming weekend. Oh, awesome, awesome. Uh, so that's the people with cameras. And uh, that's going to be held in uh, Magnet Gallery in Docklands. Uh, so it's it's a, from memory, I think it was upstairs. So there's, there's two levels at Docklands. So those people here, you know, based in Melbourne, who's never been to Docklands before, um, you know, it's an open type uh, center, you know, shopping center, if you want to call it that. Um, but there's two two levels, so uh, we'll be on the second um, second level. Now, one important thing, if you do plan on coming, uh, you must register. So if you either head on the link that we've got in the, um, in the group uh, channel or head over to the Fujifilm Australia's Facebook page, uh, click into the events and uh, follow the link, that should take you to an event bright page. Uh, and register now. Tickets are limited, so um, you know I think upon release was roughly about 400, if not slightly bit more. But uh, you must register. And the importance about that is on the day there will be competitions uh, where an email will be blasted out to everyone who has registered, what the theme is, um, and the instructions on how to submit um, your entries for the competition. So there'll be a couple of comps. I definitely want to register so you, you can receive those notifications. So, Ian, do you know much about the people with cameras? Have you been to ones in the past? Um, I didn't go to the the last, the previous one, but I think I went to the one after that. Um, and yeah, it's 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 an amazing uh, day where you just get to hang out with photographers. Mm. 
Um, but this particular one's got me really excited because um, just reading all the information that Fujifilm's put out about it um, on the Eventbrite site, looks like they've put a lot of effort uh, into gathering um, a lot of uh, supporters for this. So I think it's going to be also sponsored by uh, Think Tank and Mindshift um, and Nisi. Um, and also supported by local photography retailers and various local photography communities as well. So um, that's, it's, that's it's going to be amazing. It's, yeah, it's definitely going to be epic. Now, I've attended all the other previous uh, years, uh, People with Cameras. So these, uh, this is an event uh, that, that only occurs once a year. And as Ian just uh, roughly touched on, it's, it's a great event that, you, you know, it's not only uh, for Fuji, uh, I guess, shooters. It's, it's open to everyone, um, you know, whether you're Canon, Nikon, Sony, so if you, you know, if you're on the borderline, you know, on the fence, thinking of whether you want to make the switch to Fuji or not, this is a great opportunity to really come down and uh, you know touch and try some of the gear and really you know, ask some of the professionals that's going to be on hand, you know, what their thoughts are. Um, you know, both Ian and I, as well as some of our other admin teams, definitely going to be there as well. So you know, feel free to ask any questions or use this opportunity to ask any questions that, that you may have. The other great thing about this event is uh, you know participants. Uh, as I mentioned, we'll be able to uh, join in photo walks, which we're um, you know going to be hosting uh, or co-hosting uh, at the event, and you know maybe use that opportunity to to use some of the gear. You know, um, if you want to borrow uh, you know a camera, you can just you know come and ask me, tap me on the shoulder, and say, look, you know, I'm thinking of you know uh, switching over to Fuji. Do you have one that I can use? More than happy to uh, lend you uh, one uh, that I have on hand. The other awesome thing about it is. This particular event, unlike the previous ones, is now uh, hosted in um, uh, at, at a gallery or in a studio environment. So it's almost like your expo environments. So this one's going to have a lot of uh, vendors, suppliers, local retailers. Um, you know, there's going to be booths. So definitely, you know, if, if you're thinking about it and haven't registered yet, definitely head over and register. We're going to also be uh, doing some videos as well. So Ian's going to uh, take a video of on the day and uh, really just going to do a little presentation. And for those who, who unfortunately like in different states and uh, you know won't be able to make it uh, for this event, you'll be able to see a little short video um, about the you know this particular event. And I think uh, Sydney, their one's in November, I believe. So um, yeah, so if you guys are based in Sydney, um, don't 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 lose hope. Your one is coming. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for that. All right, guys. So that pretty much uh, concludes this episode. Um, I know it's a it, it's it's a short segment. But um, hopefully, you know, we'll get back into the groove of things. And in the next segment, we'll talk on a little bit more um, about other things. So just quickly before we finish off, we've got our blog section, which Greg has been leading. Um, if you guys haven't uh, read some of his posts, highly recommend you guys head over to the Fuji XOz website. So that's fujixoz.com.au. Click into the blog section and have a read of some of his posts. Some great articles there, as well as interviews with fellow members of the community. What I really mm. like about Greg's, uh, Greg's particularly the member interviews was, you know, you always see people interviewing photographers who are world class or, or who, you know, who are excellent and amazing for one reason or another. Um, don't often get to hear the stories of the everyday photographers that, that we, we mix and mingle with on our group. So I think uh, that's why the series of interviews that Greg's been doing has just been so well received by everyone because uh, we get to know each one a little bit better. And that's what 
uh, our group totally is all about it's about community it's about, 100%. Building, about building relationships and uh you know just 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 generating and encouraging a lot of interest amongst ourselves and encouraging one another so uh good on uh, great classic chromie for doing that uh you're a, you're an awesome man <laughs> no, hundred percent, hundred percent, and I couldn't agree, uh, you know, anymore. Um, it just, you know, connects you at that personal level. And remember, we're a community, so it's not a Facebook group for, you know, professionals only. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, if you guys do get, uh, you know, um, approached by Greg uh, for maybe an interview or for one of his other blogs, highly recommend you guys to participate and um, give him. Um, your your attention and hopefully he'll write uh, you know uh, the next blog the next interview post on other members of the community uh, just another quick update for everyone around the member discounts now since the last time we spoke or raised this up uh, the DigiDirect codes has been suspended so I've been uh, working with um, our our contact at DigiDirect and we're working on an online code. Um, as we speak, so no longer will there be, you know, walking codes or you know, calling them you know, on the phone. So we're going to have a dedicated code now that we can use on their website. So that's uh, work in progress. We're very close to to getting that uh, uh, formalised, but I'll keep you guys updated in that space as uh, information becomes available. However, apart from DigiDirect, we've also got a number of great discounts uh, and discount codes and promo codes with some of our other vendors. So Nissi filters, we've got uh, Siri tripods, um, Mego bags, uh, Zekins, um, Arahan photos for your Godox flashes and triggers. So there's a number of these that's available to you guys now. Um, some of which uh, you know range from five to ten to some fifteen percent off. So head over to the Fuji XR's website, click into the uh, the shop into the discounts and promo code section and there'll be a password that you need to enter in so um, if you're not sure what that password is just send a pm to myself or one of the other admins and we'll be able to uh, share that with you now i don't want to disclose that here being that uh, our podcast is accessible uh you know by the public and i just want these codes to be exclusive to members of the community so if you're keen just flick us a pm Lastly, uh, Fuji Exiles, we've got merchandise. So for those who, who are new to the group, um, you know, show your support uh, for, our, you know, for the community by purchasing one of our T-shirts. We're working on uh, some new designs. So if any of you guys have any uh, you know, um, ideas or some things that you guys would like to see, you know, whether it be beanies or tote bags and, or even just a design uh, idea um, and uh, you guys want to share some of your creative thoughts, by all means, you know, pop it on the post and say, look, guys, uh, how about uh, having such and such as a merch or I'll be keen on, you know, such and such or, or a collaboration with, a, say, you know, a straps and things like that. So let us know, you know, give us your feedback. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll take that on board and go from there. All right, guys. So that pretty much uh, wraps up this uh, episode. Once again, we apologize for the late uh, arrival of this and hopefully uh, in the next couple uh, there'll be a lot more frequent, a lot more regular going forward. Thanks for listening. Ian, any last words? Uh, just get out there. Make sure if you can head to, to that uh, People With Cameras event. Uh, it's going to be awesome. 
and um, I'm telling you now and if you miss out that's all your problem but anyway uh, get out there keep shooting keep uh, engaging with one another on our Facebook group we've got such a great group thanks to all the other admins and reps for their hard work but also thanks to all the members for just regularly posting and commenting and being encouraging and supportive to one another you guys are awesome and we love you heaps Jeez, thanks all if you're looking for an active friendly Fuji community in Australia come and check us out at Fuji XOz on Facebook or visit our website at www.fujixoz.com.au.